0: بسم الله الرحمن wa وصلى وسلام على سيدنا رسول الله على آله وأصحابه ومن وله I hope everybody is doing good. Alhamdulillah. Um I hope everybody's okay, not overwhelmed. I know, I know. Sometimes Fridays can be tough, um, and and uh, you know we're a little bit exhausted, uh, so to speak. Uh, so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to facilitate inshallah and make things easier for each and every one of us inshallah ta'ala. So we're going to start now uh, I'm going to read his text in Arabic and then translate it inshallah and uh, we'll have some, some discussions hopefully well warranted and we should finish around 8.50, uh, 8.45 if there's any questions inshallah and then tomorrow I don't think we'll take four hours. That may be Exhausting for people, but we'll see um, how people how people feel. So again, let's kind of contextualize. We're talking here about what are known what's known as al masalih. Maslaha means a benefit, and Islam divides these benefits into two: what's related to the hereafter, and what's related to this life. So maslaha uchrawiya. And we're now going to read Perhaps maybe for the first time uh, That I know of the text is going to see English um, So bear with me also As I try to stumble Through this with you inshaAllah islam Abdul Salam is really an incredible scholar a person of incredible principle who while he was in egypt became so frustrated with the mamalik who were at that time ruling egypt mamalik means slaves so he said to them you know you're still designated of course we have to put this in the context of where we are now He said, you guys are still designated as slaves, so how can you be the sultans of Egypt? I'm leaving. So he started to leave Cairo. And as he was leaving, the governor of Cairo, who was Mamlik, came to him and said, take me to the market and purchase my freedom, if that'll make you stay. So he went to the market with the aristocracy and he bought their freedom and then he sold their freedom if you will so his nickname is Ba'iul Mamalik and that was because they were very corrupted so throughout his life he's a person who took like principled stances it's very rare today to find people like this Sheikh Sadiq al in Libya is someone who's taken principled stances. May Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala protect him. He says, So he begins his discussion, he He says, in clarifying what is maslaha and what is mafasid. Right? Masaleh, you know, like aminul salihat, the same word, al salihat, righteous deeds. So al-musalih are those things that are going to bring good into society and good into our lives. And mafasid are those things that are corrupting agents. That bring corruption. He says, فَإِنَّ al li dunya wal وَدَفْعِي مفاسدهما. This is actually one of the major axioms of Islamic law. But he's just writing it. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets and messengers and revealed books. لِيقَامَةِ مَصَالِحِ الدُّنْيَا والآخرة to establish what's good in this life and good in the hereafter and to protect from anything that would corrupt them and one of the things that we can gain from reading a text like this I mean ibn Abdul Salam lived in the 7th century after Hijri he dies around 660 one of the things that we get from this is that we are now forced to address the furnishings of post-modernity coupled with this gumbo of Eurocentrism that Islam is backwards, that religion is incapable, and that in particular Muslims lack the sophistication to be what we would consider domesticated for modern life. But when we run into this ancestor, who's breaking it down like this, suddenly we're like, wow, man, we were some amazing freaking people, man. Like subhanAllah. We had some incredible people in our community. And we still do, alhamdulillah. So I also feel that studying classical texts is somewhat therapeutic. And it's important to note that Izi Abdul Salam is a Sufi. Like he was a jurist, he was a brilliant theologian, he was a political activist, he stood against a corrupted government, and he's Sufi. So he said, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ أَرْسَلَ الرسولة. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets وَأَنْزَلَ الْكُتُوبَةً and revealed text, li qamati masadihi ad dunya wal akhirah. To establish good in this life and the next. Can anyone here think of a famous dua that we all learned that teaches us to seek good in this life and the next life? Anyone know that dua that would support this idea? Yeah, Shaykh, the rakhanaatana for dunya, masnatan for lakhiri, masnatan rakhanaatana for dunya. Exactly, exactly, right. if Fid dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana. Okay, anyone can even type the dua in the box for people. I'm sure they would appreciate it, right? Our Lord, give us good in this life and give us good in the next. We have a very beautiful statement that says, al la al that you should seek dunya in a way that it doesn't harm your hereafter. And seek the hereafter in a way that doesn't harm your dunya. Subhanallah. Uh, yeah, but mysticism, Najneen, would be kind of a Barnes and Noble type term. You know, Sufism tends to be married at the hip with Islamic law. But the kind of gentrified form of Sufism is one that has untethered itself from law. But early Sufis, someone like him, are going to see that Sufism has to be shined through the door of Muhammad. Thank you, Bushra. Then he says, "Well, Maslaha. And then he begins to define what is called Maslaha. Ladha and laddha means pleasure so wal maslaha laddha so the meaning of maslaha in in language is pleasure aw sababuha or something that leads to pleasure aw farha aw sababuha or happiness right or something that causes happiness MashaAllah, here you can see the expanding idea and also if you think about what he's saying he's not only saying that maslaha is found in the observance of religious liturgy but maslaha is also how people feel in our community do muslims feel happy as muslims? do muslims feel happiness around one another? A young woman that has to go to a mosque and ask herself, I wonder if they have a place for me even to pray. Are we achieving the maslaha for her? Are we now organizing as a community to ensure that she experienced ladda wal farha? So now you can see why we're reading this book, man. Because it's not simply about, oh, this is so cool. There's like this Sufi guy and he's a legal theorist and he wrote about maslaha. Maslaha is a mandate that makes sure not only am I worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but that I make sure people in the ummah find value in this. So he defines it, he says, and this of course is a legal definition. So maslaha means pleasure. Or what leads to that pleasure. So now think about the policies in masjids or the policies in Islamic centers. Or what happened for example in a masjid a few years ago in New York City where during taraweeh an individual got up, started yelling at the women, telling them that they're a problem, telling them that they shouldn't be in the mosque. If we just take this definition that he gave us, وَالْمَصْلَحُ لَذَّةُ أَو, أَوْ سَبَبُهَا That maslaha is happiness and pleasure in what leads to it. If someone is truly thinking about iqamata al-maslaha, establishing the religious benefit in the lives of people, would they eliminate the structures that cause pain in the ummah? Absolutely. So, as I said earlier, the experience of you reading this text with me should be one that dilates you in a positive way. And feel free to differ with me, even though I'm right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Then he says, Wal mafsada, a corruptor, Alamun al Sababuha, is pain. It's pain. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sidi Abdul Izayadin is saying, Wal Mufsada, Alamun al Sababuha, is pain or what leads to it? Or causes it أو أو or depression and anxiety or what causes it and here he's not talking about of course issues of mental health he's talking about things that cause this right things that make this happen وَلَمْ يُفَرِّقِ الشَّرَعُ بَيْنَ دقها وجلها وَكَثِيرِهِمَا And he says, the Sharia doesn't differentiate between small maslaha and great maslaha and small mafsada and great mafsada, meaning it defines them as such. It it differentiates from them in the sense of like approach, right? Like you, you may find someone doing something wrong. If you stop them, it creates a greater wrong. So you don't stop them like the guy who urinated in the prophet's mosque. But what he means here is it's designation as this is Maslaha, this is maslahah. So he says, that's why you know you have this statement فَمَنْ يَعْمَل مِثْقَالَ خَيْرًا وَمَن يَعْمَل مِثْقَالَ whoever does the Adam's weight of good will see it whoever does the Adam's word of evil will see it and Adam, or what's greater than that? We ask Allah, Bil He said, Allah commands us to try to be excellent in all things that we do. Every good is considered a charity. And to say a good word is charity. And to meet someone while you're smiling, is maslaha. And to remove something from the the road or to help someone in the road is maslaha. So here we see Isiri Abdus Salam expands the beneficial maslaha to the most insignificant acts of good, to the greatest acts of good. And the same thing for evil. وَقَدْ حَثَّ الْرَبُّ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَىٰ عَلَىٰ التَّحْصِيلِ الْمُصَالِحِ الْآخِرَةِ He says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has encouraged us to seek and to work for what is going to be good for our hereafter. مُصَالِحْ الْأُخْرَوِيَّةِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, right. those people who do good, who have faith and do good deeds, they're going to experience Jannah in the hereafter in delight. Allah says that the rewards of Allah are better for those who believe and do good. فَمَنْ آمَنَ وَأَصْلَحَ فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يحزنون. Who believes and does good will not fear or have anxiety in the hereafter. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِي نَارَ نَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُولَنَا Those who work hard to be devout to us, we will guide them. وَتِلْكَ الْجَنَّةُ الَّتِي أورثتموها بِمَا كُنتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Allah says this is the paradise which you have inherited because of how you lived your lives. So of course Islam frames the maslaha of the hereafter achieving good in the hereafter for ourselves and others as a priority. And he says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this by praising the acts which lead to pleasure and happiness in the hereafter praising the one who does those acts and what he has established for the beautiful rewards for those who do those acts and the gifts that he will give them and the same thing applies to doing mafasid which will harm our hereafter that Allah Wa ta'ala shames those people, denounces those people Mentions punishment, the opposite of ladha, the opposite of pleasure and farha, awaits such people in thereafter. hereafter. And he says in the Quran, you find synonyms for the word maslaha and mafsada. Again, what does maslaha mean? If someone can type it for people, good or benefits. What does mafsada mean? Evil, right, or corruptors. So he says, Thank you, Sabrina. He says that in the Quran, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala uses different words to talk about this concept of Maslaha and mafsada. So, for example, something which is beloved, something which is loved by God and the Messenger is Maslaha. Something which is repulsive is Makruh, is Mafsara. Something which is called Hasanat is understood to be Maslaha. What's called Sayyat is understood to be Mafsara, evil. Hasanat is like a good deed, Sayyat is a bad deed, and so on and so forth. Then he mentions something really interesting as a side point. Yeah, yeah. It means, it means of course, in this context, Safiyah, more than the uh, kind of standard Arabic idea, right? Self-interest. Maslaha here means what is going to bring the good in your life and others, like in a broader way. But in and not even in colloquial Arabic, right? In fusha, maslahati, what is good for me? Thank you for sharing. He says, "Well, adabu and etiquette, min al al He said, out of etiquette, we should never talk about acts of worship, even if they're difficult, with words that imply their it's like really nice. He, here he's making kind of a side point. He says, out of etiquette, right, since we now introduced, like, here's the word maslaha, here's the word masada, here's the synonyms for each. He says, He says that, you know, when you talk about worship, if it's hard or difficult you should not use words that would imply that act of worship is a masad, is evil or bad so like a'udhu billah ramadan is coming you know sometimes we hear people talking about ramadan a'udhu billah like i heard someone say like man i hate when ramadan starts a'udhu billah you know or like prayer is just like such a you know i just prayer is just like so bad for me no that's not adab actually Mafsada its root is Fasada yeah Mustar what's called Mustarmimi Mafsada and Masalih, is called Mastarmimi but I don't want to make it too hard for people uh here He said even though Janna qad Kadhufat even though jannah is surrounded by difficulties right and hardships like you know we have to be very very careful he, sorry he says he says you know out of etiquette you should never talk about acts of worship and devotion in, with words that imply like it's it's bad. And you should not talk about evil and sin with words that imply it's good. It's like nice. Then he goes into a very important discussion. He says, وَجَلْبْ الْمَصَارِحِ وَدَرْءُ أَقْسَامِ أي al that causing benefit and preventing harm has different types, different types of intensity, different types of different parts, if you will. But I don't like the word parts, even though he used the word aqsam, because the implication here is different levels so now what he's going to introduce to you after talking about kind of the purpose of Islam and sharia and then you know the idea of maslaha and mafsada al-laddha wal-alam al-sababuhuma you know pleasure or pain and what causes them and then talking about how Allah has divided this into those which are related to this world and those which are related to the hereafter and then encourage us to make you know the maslaha of the hereafter our, our, our focus because if I believe that the maslaha of the dunya are greater than the maslaha of the hereafter. This is where I'm going to disobey Allah. But if I know that the good in the hereafter far outweighs this world, then I'm going to be able to maintain focus and balance. You can see kind of where this is headed. Now he's going to talk about the different types of maslaha in the context of this life and the next life. And he says the first is called a adorori a necessity, a necessity. Imam Shatibi says a Dorori is something La Buddha Minha. في قيام مصالح الدنيا والدين والدنيا، بحيث إذا فقدت لم تجر لم تجر مصالح الدنيا على استقامة بل على فساد. الإمام الشاطبي says that مصالح which are necessities are those which we cannot live without. Life will cease. So without them, we die. Or without them, religion won't be able to function. So this is called For example, food. That's why Islam allows you to eat pork if you're going to die we have a great axiom in Islamic law that says if somebody is facing necessity they're allowed to engage in the forbidden so the first type of maslaha is conditioned on the existence of the things I need intrinsically to function whether physically emotionally psychologically and then related to religion so, for example, in religion, that's why Imam, Sha- uh, Imam Asyuti said, every city has to have one mufti. Because without a mufti, it's Farda kifaya. How can people live? How, how would I know? It'll be complete chaos, like we see now. People don't respect the people of knowledge anymore. They just run over them. That's why there's this hadith, it's not strong. It says the ummah will treat its ulama like Bani Israel treated his prophets. Wallahi, it's true. So, scholarship is a necessity. Masajid, that's why it's kifaya to have a masjid. Fardu kifaya to have a mu'adhan. These are necessities for people to function in their religious life. So, number one is al-dururi ay ma minha. The thing that we have to have in our lives. Like our health. The second is called al-haji and a haji means a need something that I could live without it but it would make life better for example like air condition or have a nice carpet in the masjid hadith yet and the last is called tahsinat or takmili. Which means I don't have to have it, you don't have to have it, but you know, it just kind of makes things perfect. The cherry on the ice cream. So the sheikh is saying that the Masalih, the benefits of this life and the next are resting on these three kind of foundational things. What's a necessity for me to experience happiness? What's a necessity for me to be able to work on my hereafter? What's not a necessity but may make my life better, make my worship better, but not a necessity, and then finally, you know, like rubber socks. I don't have to have rubber socks, but mashallah be nice. Have that and then he begins to explain them. He says, Fa al al but. وَالتَرْقَ الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ He said, the first thing that you want to have in front of you individually, before you start to talk about the public good, we have to talk about the individual good. The first thing that has to be in front of you is what is a necessity for you to experience pleasure in the hereafter. And that is establishing the obligations and avoiding what's haram. And if you think about what the Shaykh is saying, you can see the intersection of of his legal training with his tasawwuf. So he says, فَالضُرُورِي al أُخْرَوِيُّ That the, the, the necessity related to the hereafter is obeying Allah. This is establishing the mandatory acts وَتَرْكُ الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ and leaving the haram. So if you think about what we're doing today through this kind of journey through Islamic legal philosophy, as you start to encounter some of the fitna in the currents of the Western world, you'll remember lah, that the necessity is obeying Allah for the hereafter. My ladha, my farha, my happiness, my pleasure, ultimately in the hereafter, is in obeying Allah. وَالْحَاجِ هُوَ وَالشَّعَائِرُ الظَّاهِرَاتِ And he says the second type of maslaha related to the hereafter is observing the sunnah. Right? So... Isha is dururi, the two rakah after or four rakah after Isha, haji. And he also talks about Ira al-zahirat. And what that means is the signs and representations of the sacred in our lives. Because that's going to, if we're if we're furnished with reminders of the sacred around us, it's going to encourage us to be better. Alhamdulillah. But you could enter hell, uh, you could enter heaven, right, without praying the Faraqat after Isha. Perhaps, but you can improve your Jannah. I can improve my Jannah, inshallah, by praying them. وتكمل <laughs> ما Sha'airi min what that means are those things which the Prophet ﷺ encouraged us to do but without emphasis. For example, Salatul Duha, according to most of the ulama, having someone write the contract is considered mandub, although now most scholars, we're going to talk about it later on, they're going to say, no, no. For the maslaha, you have to write the contract down. Of course, now you have state law that governs this, but that's Takmili. He says, Examples of necessities related to your worldly life are food and drink, shelter clothing and he mentions nikah although there's a difference of opinion about this but what he means is like if nobody gets married and nobody has kids right civilization would cease we could also add to this health care okay what just happened where did we just go now isn't that a public policy issue right now isn't there a public health crisis in america what does al-masalih how does that help inform us about things like healthcare, education. Why would some Muslims stop girls from going to schools if knowledge is one of the masalih? So now we can see that what we're getting here briefly tonight, and of course, this is an introductory class, right? Is something that's gonna allow you to evaluate at a broader level the policy actions of Muslim states, Muslim actors, and even Muslim groups, or Muslim organizations, or Muslim centers, or Muslim leaders, or yourself. He says, and those things which are like takmili Think about this in the lens of predatory capitalism. He says that the lowest level of maslaha related to dunya are things like a huge house, great tasting food, amazing tasting drinks. If we look at predatory capitalism, we can see that Islam and the West don't get along. Because this is a priority, it ain't about having a fat crib, caviar, a Bugatti, and a 75,000-inch flat screen television. That's Taqmidi. What comes first? Al-Akhira. What comes last? The crib. It doesn't mean those things are bad either. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying is, what are my and your priorities in the shade of Islamic law? That's all he's saying. So one of the things that I like to do when we read this part is, you know, do I treat what's like a necessity as a necessity? Absolutely, but... Of course, Sabrina, I'm not talking to the whole world. I'm living in the West. So I'm very careful, and I appreciate you asking that, to speak to where I'm at. I don't like to speak about about things I'm not aware of. But if we look at the history of the economy, and we look at the destruction of the WAC system by the West the bankrupting of the walk system in the muslim world thanks bushra there is certainly something to be said about the aggressive economic policies just look at iran that you know the west engages in to suffocate people they had to create their own vaccine because they couldn't purchase vaccines because of sanctions I'm not saying they're perfect, but I'm saying, like, medicine? Doesn't medicine follow under a duroy, a dunyawi? Isn't that right? The vaccine, and look, we see America. Why is the vaccine free? It's duroy. As I said today, in the khutbah, you can't support gun control in Compton and not care about gun control in the Gaza Strip. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about that. Can't support gun control in Inglewood or or West East Brooklyn. But then you're about no law and order and no gun control in Afghanistan or Syria or Iraq or Yemen. You can't be a neoliberal and care about gun control. But then you have no problem with McDonnell Douglas selling weapons of mass destruction to people that are bombing the Yemenis into pieces. So now if we take the idea of maslaha and we apply the human life as the major maslaha of Islam, then we can understand why many of the ulama consider nuclear weapons absolutely forbidden. Absolutely forbidden. So where we're headed with this, hopefully by tomorrow, is it's going to be like, I never knew that Islam was like this. And you're going to feel invigorated to inject yourself perhaps into places in different ways.